0: All right, brothers and sisters, now it's time to look at God's Word together. So if you will, take out your Bibles with me, and let us turn once again to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. And Today we'll look at the second half of that chapter, starting in verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, I'd encourage you to look at the text with us in a copy of Scripture, either your own that you brought, or uh, perhaps on the Pew Bible in front of you. You can grab that and look at it with us, these Verses will not be on the screens up behind me. Uh, I think it will benefit us most to look at them in a copy of scripture. We'll be returning to them time and time again during the sermon. Uh, So I think it'll be helpful for you to have it in front of you. Ephesians 3 starting in verse 14. Now, when we come to, to this passage today, once again, Paul has written to the Ephesians about the specific ways he's praying for them. We've seen him do this already once in Ephesians chapter 1, where he he tells them not only that he's praying for them, but he tells them what he's praying for them. A few weeks ago, we, we noted how this can be a wonderful way to encourage one another in Christ. To not only tell each other, hey, I'm praying for you, but here's what I've been praying for you. Here's what I'm saying to God on your behalf when I pray for you. Paul does this for the Ephesians. He does it in chapter 1, and then he does it here in verses 14 through 21. And so he's doing it once more. Now this one is a little bit different than the last one because this text marks a big transition in the book of Ephesians. We've been going verse by verse through this glorious book over the the last few weeks and months even. But this is a transition, a big transition in this book. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, are all about theology, or you might say doctrine or truth. In chapters 1 through 3, it's all about what do we know about the gospel and about the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That's chapters 1 through 3. But then chapters 4 through 6 take a turn, and they are focused on life application. So the, the second half of this book will be all about how should these truths affect how we live How should our behavior change because of what we know? And Paul does this, if you pay attention to your New Testament, Paul does this with just about every book that he writes. He'll spend the first part of it talking about doctrine. What do we know? And then he'll he'll usually separate that part from the next part with a really big therefore. You can actually see this one in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, and then he will tell us, okay, how should we live in light of what we've just talked about, in light of what we know, in light of that truth or that doctrine. So he does the same here. This prayer that he tells the Ephesians about, this prayer marks that transition. So let's read our text. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul, starting in Ephesians three fourteen. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, Now you can kind of see there at the end of that how that's an appropriate ending of a big major section of his book. And then chapter 4, verse 1, kind of turns into the next section or the next topic. But let's talk about this prayer that he tells the Ephesians about. The first phrase that I want to draw your attention to comes right at the beginning in verse 14 where he says, For this reason. Now when we look at that, we should perk up and think, for what reason? What's he referring back to? For what reason is he bowing his knees before the Father? Now, interestingly enough, you go look back at the, the very first verse of this chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, and he says the same phrase, chapter 3, verse 1. Look at that with me. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then you've got a big dash, at least in my translation, and then he goes on. Now, what's interesting about this for me Up until this very week, I had always read chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, for this reason, and I had always kept reading and thought, Paul, you forgot to come back and finish your thought. You didn't finish it. Like, somebody should have proofread this before you sent this out, because you you didn't finish your thought. You just said, for this reason, but you you never finished that. I always thought he never finished it, up until this very past week. I've read this tons of times. I thought, I thought he just never finished it. There's a grammar mistake right here. But what he did was he went on a 12-verse tangent. And then he comes back to it in verse 14. So he, he did finish it. He just went on a 12-verse tangent in between finishing it. Notice how he says he repeats it again like we would in a conversation. And we, we've, we've kind of talked a little bit. You might have forgotten that I said for this reason. So I'm going to come back to it and I'm going to say verse 14. Again, I'm going to repeat myself for this reason. So he's finishing it here in verse 14. But the question remains, for what reason? What, what's the reason? Because you don't really find it until chapter 2. You've got to go all the way back into chapter 2. Because he said in verse 1 of chapter 3 for this reason too. So you go back to chapter 2 and you look at verse 20. Or verse, verse, uh, actually not verse 20. We'll go to verse 18. Chapter 2 verse 18. And there we read this glorious, glorious truth that through Christ we both, Jews and Gentiles... No matter who you are, through Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Because of Jesus, we have access to the Father. Now, interestingly, before he repeats himself, he says kind of the same thing in chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so what's the reason why Paul is bowing his knees before the Father? It's because Jesus has died on the cross to give us access to God so that we can do this. So that we can pray. The only reason that we can pray to God and have him hear us and listen to us is because Jesus made a way for us to do that. Jesus' death on the cross gave us access to the Father. And so now, little insignificant Christians like us, one of seven billion people on this earth, when you consider the vast universe that God has to oversee every second of every day, little me can send up a prayer to him and he hears it and he cares about it, and he works in response to it. That's amazing. Jesus died on the cross to give us that kind of access to the creator of the entire universe that we could pray to him. He is the God that in verse 20, Paul says, is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. What a waste would it be If I have access to that kind of power, and I don't use it, and I don't even try, I have access to the God of the universe, the God who spoke everything into being with just a word, and I I don't ask him for things? What a waste would that be? We read it elsewhere in the Bible. He is not just the, the, the supreme being, authority figure, and power in the universe. He's our Father. And he delights when his children ask him for things. He delights in giving good gifts to his children. What a waste it would be if I did not use that access that Jesus died to give me. And go with boldness to God and ask things of him that are on my heart. We need to pray, you guys. Pray, pray, pray. Because we have that kind of access. It's because of Jesus have you ever noticed that every time somebody prays, they end the prayer with, in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. That is not just a mantra that you have to say to make it a, a real prayer. That is not just something that you have to tack on at the end of the prayer. Now we pray in Jesus' name because Jesus is the only reason we have access to the Father. Jesus is the only reason God's going to listen to a sinner like me and a little insignificant speck on his creation like me. It's because of Jesus. And so we pray in Jesus' name. That's a really important part of every prayer. It's not just something to tack on at the end. And so as you pray, think about that, right? Don't just mindlessly say in Jesus' name. No, it's in the name of Jesus we're coming before God. And so let's pray. Let's pray because we have this access to. To God, Let's come with confidence and boldness to ask him for what only he can give. Now, I want to show you the, the, the kind of central phrase in this prayer, which comes in verse 16. In verse 16, Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, of God's glory, Paul is praying that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the, the crux of the entire prayer right there. Everything else in the prayer flows from this initial request for them, for the Ephesians, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit. And since Paul is praying this in the Spirit, in the inspiration of God, and it's written down as Holy Scripture, it's a prayer not only for the Ephesians, but for all of us today. Now let's, let's take a moment, just a second, and pause and think about where those ambulances and that fire trucks going and say a prayer in our hearts for whoever is experiencing whatever emergency it might be i think it's a it's a it's a good practice to stop to pray continually not just for the things of your own heart and your own life but let's pray in our hearts right now for those people who are experiencing whatever emergency that might be now back to our text this is the crux of the prayer verse 16 That Paul is praying for us to have power through his spirit in our inner being. Now the Holy Spirit dwells inside of each believer starting at the time of their baptism. Right When we are baptized into Christ, one of the promises God gives in scripture is that the Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you starting at that time and will dwell continually inside of you. From that time on. That's what Paul means when he says in your inner being there. It's inside of us. The Holy Spirit dwells in our inner being. Now it's tough because you, it's not a physical thing that you can point to and feel. You, you can't say, yeah, it's, it's like right over here on the right side. Or I can, you know, feel him like I do when I'm, I don't know, full of food or something. It's not physical. So you, you don't feel something like you typically would. And often we don't feel his effects like we typically would. But scripture tells us over time, they are working on us, that power within us. And so when Paul says, in your inner being, that's what he means. So through that Holy Spirit, Paul is praying that God would grant us to be strengthened with power. Now let's focus in on that for a second. Power. What power? What kind of power? What does that mean? Well, we can know a few things from our text, even if we can't know all the details. It's an inner power, not an outward one. It's a spiritual power, not a physical one. And we know from our text, it's a kind of power that you can't just go get for yourself. Notice in verse 16, how he says God has to grant this. That God may grant you to be strengthened with this power. This is a gift of God. You can't get this for yourself. You can't go do enough disciplines spiritually to to work yourself up to have this kind of power. It's a power that God grants. Now, what kind of inner spiritual power does God grant us through the Holy Spirit? Well, in scripture, we read that that power includes the, the power to fight and kill sin. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you, God grants you the power to fight and kill sin. The power to resist the temptations of Satan and of the world and of our own flesh. The power to deny yourself and to obey the commandments of God, to love and serve and give to others, to deny ourselves to do that. And the power to know God and his truth. A power to know God and his truth in such a way that it empowers us. It empowers us to do those things we just talked about. To fight and kill sin. To resist the temptations of Satan. To deny yourself and love and give and serve. You can only have the power to do that through your knowledge of God and his word. And that knowledge of God and his word empowers you to do those things. Now notice... In Scripture, it tells us these are all things that you could not do before, without Christ. All of the things we just mentioned, you could not do them without Christ. You could not do them before you came to Christ, if you have already come to Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were going along with the world, it says. You were saying yes to all the desires of your flesh. And you had no power to defeat it. No power to raise yourself up from that living dead. But now in Christ, you have Holy Spirit power. In Christ, you have Holy Spirit power. We've already seen some things about this power in Ephesians. Look at chapter 1, verse 19. Ephesians 1, verse 19 where it says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I'm sorry, I was, I was reading verse two, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. They're on the same page for me. Chapter 1, now this is talking about power. Chapter 119, he wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his great might. And notice what verse 20 says about that power. It's his great might. It's the same power that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's the Holy Spirit power that God gives to every believer, that Paul is praying for, that we would tap into the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He even mentioned it here in our text today at the end of his prayer, verse 20. Notice how he says, To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to what? According to the power... At work within us. Without Christ. We are spiritually dead. Weak as can be. But in Christ. By the spirit. We have a power inside of us. That is greater than the price. Greater than the prince. Of the power of the air. We see that in chapter 2. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. But we have someone inside of us. That is greater. That has a greater power. Than his power. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Sometimes we look out into this world and we think there's there's so much chaos going on and I am am just so insignificant and I I don't have any power within myself to do anything about the big problems of the world. I feel like that. I just don't have any power in myself to do anything about what's going on in the world. Sometimes I look out into the world and I think this is going to get the best of me. I'm going to buckle under everything that's going on. And then I come to the Bible and I see the power that the Holy Spirit has. The power that resides in me. Think for a moment about all of the the chaos and threat of war going on in our, our world right now. The one who has peace in the midst of all that is the one with the most power. Think about it. The one with the most power sits back and says, amidst all of these threats, no one can defeat me because I have the most power. I have more power than they do. So I'm not worried like they are because I have more power than they do. Well, think about what we just talked about. The power that is inside of us through the Holy Spirit is greater than any power this world has ever seen greater than any power of the forces of darkness in this world. And that's inside of me. That's the power that God is working in me and for me. And that's some deep encouragement in the midst of a crazy and chaotic world. But notice how Paul goes on in his prayer. He goes on in verses 18 and 19 and prays that we may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now they say knowledge is power. You heard that before? Knowledge is power, right? So knowing things can give you the power to do certain things. And I think that's true in a lot of ways. But for spiritual knowledge... It's not just that knowledge is power, that's true, but it's also that you need power to even know in the first place. You need power to know. Notice in verse 18, Paul prays that you may have the strength to comprehend and to know. You've got to have strength to comprehend and to know. Specifically, he wants you to have the strength to comprehend and know something that surpasses knowledge. Do you see that? In verse 19, he wants us to know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, how are you going to know something that surpasses knowledge? I mean, it's beyond knowledge. Surely it can't be known. How am I supposed to know something that can't be known? Well, the Bible is always doing this. The Bible is always telling us that we need to do something that can't be done, right? We see this over and over again in Scripture. For instance, at the end of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? He's telling us to do something that it's impossible. Or over and over again, the Bible will tell us that we need to see God, and yet at the same time, it will tell us He can't be seen. No one's ever seen Him. No one ever can see Him. It's impossible. He's invisible. And yet we're supposed to see Him. Or Jesus will tell Nicodemus and everyone, we need to be born again. And we understand Nicodemus' response, I can't crawl back up into my mother's womb. I'm not supposed to do this, right? The Bible's always telling us to do things that are impossible, things that can't be done. And here we're supposed to know something that surpasses knowledge. How does that even work? Well, what Paul's talking about is it surpasses worldly knowledge. It surpasses worldly knowledge. The truth of Christ's love can't be known by mere human wisdom or human knowledge. Think about the Pharisees of Jesus' day with me for a second. The Pharisees were as as smart as it gets. They were the intellectual elites. Everyone looked at them and thought, man, they're, they're geniuses. That's a smart person. I'll never be smart like them. And yet Jesus was always saying things to them like, you guys don't understand. Over and over again, Jesus would say things to the Pharisees like, have you not read what it says in the Bible? Have you not read? Have you not read? Now, the Pharisees were the most well-read Jews in, in all of Judaism. The Pharisees had read the Old Testament over and over again, more times than anyone. And so, of course, they had read all these things, but Jesus is essentially telling them, you don't understand what you read. You read it, but you didn't get it. You read the words, but you don't understand. Are you not smart enough to get what it is? And why is that? Well, it's because the, whole, the, the, the Pharisees were trying to get at God by human, worldly wisdom. And you can't do it. You can't get there by human, worldly wisdom. You can't know this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge with mere human, worldly wisdom. Let me put it this way. If someone asks you, do you know Jesus? Well, you could respond by saying, well, yes. Jesus was born about 4 BC. He died about AD 30 or 33 roundabout. Sometimes he's referred to as Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus Christ. He was a first century Jewish preacher and religious leader. And he's the central figure of Christianity, the world's largest religion. That's like the the first paragraph in Wikipedia. Okay? Okay. You could say that, but then they'd be like, no, 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 no. Um, that's not what I mean. Do you know Jesus from the heart, right? Like, like I know my wife. Like you guys might know things about my wife, but you don't know her on the heart level like I do, right? We, we don't, no one knows our spouse like we do. Do you know Jesus? That's what we're getting at. And this kind of knowing surpasses mere human knowledge, And so Paul is praying for us to have that strength, to know the love of Christ that surpasses human, worldly knowledge. It comes straight from God, this spiritual knowledge. You can't get this in the normal human means. God has to say to a heart, let there be light. The same God who in the beginning, out of nothing, created the universe with just a word, he said Let there be light. He's got to say that to our hearts. Let there be light. And then the scales fall from our eyes. All of a sudden we can see spiritually where we were blind before. God has to grant us the strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Notice how in verse 18 Paul wants them and us to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of this love of Christ. The NIV says, How wide and how long and how high and how deep. And what that means is, every aspect of the love of Jesus Christ for us is infinite. Every aspect of his love is infinite, it's infinitely wide. There's no limit to who it includes. The love of Christ is infinitely long. It is never ending. It goes on forever. The love of Christ is infinitely high. It's the most glorious, majestic, breathtaking thing in the universe. And the love of Christ is infinitely deep. You can't ever plumb the depths of it. No matter how many years you study it or live in it, there's always more to learn, more to experience, more to understand. No matter which way you look at it, it is infinite. And we will spend the rest of our lives and the rest of eternity growing in our knowledge of Christ's love. But first, you must see Christ's love as lovely. Before you can comprehend the, the, the breadth and width and height and depth, you've got to see it as lovely. Do you see it, the love of Christ? as lovely because some people see it and they they go hmm, okay and that that happens all the time all the time people see Jesus on the cross they they are presented the gospel they, they see what happened and they just shrug and they say okay can I get back to what I was doing can I get back to what I'm really interested in There's so many people all over the world who see the gospel and they just don't see it as lovely. They don't see it as beautiful and glorious. They're not attracted to it. It doesn't actually make a difference in their lives. There are people who call themselves Christians who are like this. They say they're Christians, but it doesn't really make a difference other than where I have to go on Sunday for a couple hours. Do you see the love of Christ as lovely to the point that it makes a difference in your life? Has God opened your eyes to this? If not, it's something that he can grant. So let's pray for it. All of this comes from his gracious hand. Let's pray, pray, pray for it. Because Paul is praying for God to grant it. That we can see what cannot be seen. That we can know What surpasses knowledge. Now all of this works toward the end goal of what comes at the end of verse 19. At the end of verse 19, Paul is praying all of this toward the goal that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want nothing more in the whole world than this. This is what I want more than anything. To be filled with the fullness of God. And I don't even understand all that that means. But I want it with everything I've got. Do you want that? To be filled with the fullness of God? What would it mean if we were walking around every moment of every day filled with the fullness of God? Do you want to be consumed with God? I, wanna, I want it to be true of my life, what Paul wrote in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, where he said, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. I want that to be my life, right? No matter what I'm doing, it's from God and to God and through God. It's all about God. It's God consuming everything. Now this doesn't mean that what I really want to do is, is ditch everyone in the world and go move out into the wilderness and be a monk just focusing on prayer and Bible reading every day. It's not what that means. It means we want to be like Jesus, who in every way that he lived and interacted with people and, and worked and rested and took on recreation and work and everything... It was all about God and God's glory. He was filled with the fullness of God at all times. I want to experience this constant awareness of God's presence. And so that like Jesus, the cares of this world won't be able to touch me. That's what being filled with the fullness of God will do. Back in the late 1600s, there was a Carmelite friar named Brother Lawrence who published a collection of teachings he called The Practice of the Presence of God. You can still read this today. The Practice of the Presence of God. And the idea was this. His his goal was to teach people how to make a practice of experiencing the fullness of God every minute of every day. And so no matter what you're doing, whether you're sitting down to your devotions, or you're washing dishes, or you're, you're having a conversation with someone in the community, You're constantly abiding in the presence of God, constantly aware of God's presence, and constantly living in light of God's presence, being constantly filled with the fullness of God. He wanted people to sense God's fullness within them in all of those different situations, to think of God as often as you can abide in him surround yourself with his word and reminders of who he is and what he has done and live like that every day what a lofty goal and for some of us it seems like that that goal's like impossible to reach but man i want it i pray for it we want to be like a young man newly in love who just cannot stop thinking about his girlfriend You want to be in love with God and experience this joy that is so addicting that you would just be constantly, constantly coming back to it in your mind and in your heart. You want to treat God inside of you like we would treat a fire in the middle of a dark night in the snowy, windy woods. right? If you're in the middle of of a snowy, windy night in the woods and you get a fire going, what are you going to do? You're going to protect that fire. You're going to make sure it stays burning. You're going to fan it into flame. You're going to feed it more logs and twigs. You're never going to let it go out. That's what we want to be like with God inside of us, right? Doing everything we can to protect it and nurture it and make it keep going and make it grow Because the wind and the snow and the cold are trying to get at it from every which way, from every place in this world coming at us, even from our own flesh and our own temptations. We want to be filled with the fullness of God. What would it look like if we could live in the fullness of God? We might never get to that point in our lives. But I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to get a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And I'm going to pray to God, because God can do anything. Verse 20 says he can do abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. I'm going to ask God, God, give me the fullness of you inside of me. Help me to grow in the fullness of you. What will that mean? Well, maybe it means he's going to put me through suffering very soon. Because a lot of times it seems, like in Scripture, that's the path. To being filled with the fullness of God. Maybe it means he's going to interrupt my schedule. He's going to make things frustrating for me in certain ways. Maybe it means he's going to lead me into a deeper knowledge of the Bible. I don't don't know what it means. But I, I want to open myself up to that. To where he can do it however he wants. Because there's nothing I want more. Do you long for that? Do you long for the fullness of God? That's where I'm going to leave us today. Right now, we're going to take some time to pray about what we just heard from God's word. One of the things that I think would be helpful to do, even right now, is to take those words of Ephesians and to pray those words for yourself. Paul prays that for the Ephesians. I would encourage us, let's pray those words for ourselves. That God would give us the strength to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That God would fill us with his fullness. And he would put the Spirit's power in us where we could tap into it. Let's pray these things for ourselves right now. But we, we give this time every week after the sermon so that everyone can respond to God's word. Not just those who come forward and respond. All of us need to respond to God's word and to what he just laid on our hearts. So we're going to take a few moments of silent individual prayer right now to do just that. Then after we pray, we'll come back and we'll have a time of public response where anybody who needs to respond to God's word in a public way can do so. Let's pray together.